bulletin this morning is a sermon outline, which will be helpful for you to follow along. And if you didn't get one when you came in, just put up your hand and Jim Westbrook will get you one of them. Make sure that you have one so you can follow along with us this morning. And my scripture text is the very first one. This outline is for you to take home and to keep to ponder and perhaps do a little self-examination, but the very first verse comes from the book of James, chapter 4, verse 1, that starts with a question. The question is a good question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So far, a question from God's Word. One of the movies that we're going to be showing in our Friday night summer film series is a wonderful movie entitled Inside Out. I wonder if any of you have seen this film or or know of it. It is one of the most entertaining and thought-provoking films I have ever seen. What I like about it is that the story is so simple that even a young child can follow along. It's done by Pixar and Disney. It's, it's Pixar at their best. A child can follow along with a story very simply, and yet it is so sophisticated that an adult is stirred deeply in their soul and is given great uh, fodder for discussion, husband and wife. Parents and children, brothers and sisters need to see this so they can understand what's going on in the emotional components of their soul. It's very profound. And and, uh, even just to understand your friends, it's good to see this film. And what happens is there is an 11-year-old girl named Riley Anderson who lives in the Midwest And her dad gets a job in San Francisco. And she leaves behind all her friends and her small town, her beloved ice hockey uh, sport that she plays, and she moves to San Francisco into a new school where she doesn't know anybody, has no friends in a strange house. And they take us inside Riley's turmoil by introducing us to five characters inside her brain. Her emotions, represented by uh, Amy Poehler. She plays the, the person Joy. And Louis Black, he plays anger. Now, boy, what a great casting that was. And then there's sadness and disgust and fear. You got that? Joy, sadness, Disgust, fear, and anger. And they are all wrestling for control of her words and her actions. So you go inside the mind of an 11-year-old and her parents in a very creative way, and we see a picture of how our minds and our actions are driven by our emotions. If you're new to us, if you're our guest, we're taking a break through our study in the book of Romans, and we're spending this summer asking, what does the Bible have to say to us about relationships? And we kicked it off last week, um, studying together the reality that 
we all have a relational OS, a relational operating system. Just like a computer has an OS. There's Mac OS or there's Microsoft Windows. And you have a relational operating system that takes input and processes it in a processor. And then it interfaces and sends out to the display. It displays itself on your display screen or it interfaces with the email and communications. Just as a computer has an operating system, you have a relational OS. Now the question is, Is yours healthy or unhealthy? Are we more like Jesus or are we more reflecting the corruption of this fallen world around us? Today, before we really next week get into the all the components of of an OS, today I just want to focus for a few minutes with you about emotions. Emotions, and we want to explore how, according to the Bible, emotions are a crucial part of our relational operating system and how our union with Jesus Christ, how the giving of the Holy Spirit brings hope and power and healing, substantial healing, as we realign our emotions and our actions in the power of the Holy Spirit to the reality of God. Are you with me in this? Emotions are so critical to self-understanding, and to parents understanding our children and teenagers, and for them to understand each other. You see, point number one, relationships can be challenging. And James tells us this because our emotions can be at war within us. When you read through the Psalms, the God's songbook, you, you, you sense what your, your own personal experience is. If you've never read the Psalms, you should read them because you see that emotions provide the most wonderful, the greatest pleasures in life, the genuine experience of love and joy and happiness and peace. And emotions are sometimes the worst and the most painful experiences of human life. Sadness, grief, anger, depression, bitterness, jealousy. They were all given to us by God. They are all legitimate expressions of what it means to be human Some are great and wonderful. Some are painful and terrible. The question is, how do we process them? What do we do with them? And because of their corruption, what Paul says in Ephesians, our deceitful desires, they wreak havoc inside our soul, and they are often destructive in our marriages, in our families, in our communities, at work, at school, And so we need to come to the Lord. And what James says in James 4, verse 1, is wake up and pay attention to yourself. He says, what causes fights and quarrels? And my friends, if you want to look around and and if you pay attention for a moment and see the static and the hostility or the, the frustration and the rancor that is around you, guess what? 
you might have something to do with it. I'm not saying it's all your fault. But James asks a very personal question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels? And he says, wake up and pay attention to yourself. There are desires at war within you. This this business of paying attention to yourself is very threatening to someone like me. Because I'm not very self-aware. Sometimes it's good not to be self-focused. We can be too self-preoccupied. But, but there is, you can fall off the horse the other way and you just don't see yourself. And, and sometimes my dear wife would just say, if you, if you could just see yourself, John. But I can't. I've got blinders on. We talked about that last week. Remember the great Scottish poet, poet Robert Burns? He says, oh God, give us the grace to see ourselves as other people see us. We, we, we had a guy in our church, he stood up front here and gave a testimony. He told about how he, he's not very self-aware. And he called his wife while he's driving in the car with his kids. And she wasn't home, he left a voicemail for her. And as they're driving on, he hung up and, and he goes on. He got home, listened to the messages, and he never hung up the phone. So it was still recording And he heard himself talking to his children. I hope you have this experience. He said, I listened and I thought, is that what I sound like when I talk to my children? Is that what I sound like? You see, you're not aware of your tone of voice. You're not aware of your posture. And and it's powerful. He said, it shook me to my core. That's what I'm like? I didn't know. James says, wake up. Pay attention to yourself. John Calvin, in perhaps the greatest theological treatise ever written in the Calvin's Institutes, chapter 1, paragraph 1, he says, if you want to know God, you have to know yourself. And he says, if you want to know yourself, you have to know God. And then he says, and, and which comes first? He says, I'm not sure, but, but you need to know both accurately. So James says, wake up, pay attention Because you see, emotions are inside us and they move us. We we learn this in the description of Jesus. If you look in the passage right below James 4.1, it speaks about Jesus. And look at what it says. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. That's when Jesus cleanses a a man. And it, it says he's filled with pity... That's an emotion, and it says it moved him. See, emotions move us. The the word emotion in English comes from a French word that just means to move. And um, God designed you to have emotions. An emotion is a physiological response to your circumstances. And, and, he, and he wired you in a way that um, you respond. Say, take, for example, an emotion none of us really like, the emotion of fear. Is fear a good thing? Well, I don't like the experience of fear, but fear is a very good thing if a rattlesnake is coiled up right next to you. Right? 
The rattlesnake is right next to you. You see it, and what happens? You have a physiological response. Your eyes see. Your brain gets a signal. Your adrenal gland pumps what? Adrenaline. And your feet do what? You ever see the cartoon? And it moves you. Emotions move. Fear is good when it drives you away from danger, but when, when you have panic attacks that are unwarranted or you live with a sense of anxiety, well, that, that is not what we would say is a healthy way of experiencing the emotion of fear. Um, what happens is fear um, is that emotions, Jonathan Edwards calls them affections, the old Puritans use the term affections, are like the vector of a soul. We have a man in our church who is an air traffic controller. And he, he tells the pilot to assume particular vectors in their approach to JFK or to LaGuardia. Choose the vector, and then the trajectory is set. And your emotions set the trajectory to where you are going and how you're going to react. It's not just modern psychology that thinks about these things. The old Puritans had such a sense of the human soul, and even a hundred years before Jonathan Edwards, a, a man named William Fenner wrote this. He said, the affections, you're watching the Olympics trials, the, uh, the, the uh, track and field right now, the affections are the feet of the soul, he says. And as the body goes with its feet toward that which it loves, so the soul goes with its affections to that which it loves. The soul has no other way to come at that which it loves, but only by its affections. He says, the affections are the soul's horses. And they take the soul in its carriage to its destination by anger. The soul moves to revenge. Not saying it's healthy. He's just saying, by anger, the soul moves to revenge. By desire, the soul moves to acquire. Um, by uh, love, the soul moves to enjoy. By pity, the soul moves to relieve and to assist another. Lots of examples of this in the scriptures. Joseph's brothers, we are told explicitly, they become jealous of him and their souls move them to do a terrible thing and they sell his brother into slavery and they experience 22 years of guilt and pain. The Bible tells us of Rachel. Remember the woman Rachel who's moving away with her husband and, and what does she do? She steals her father's idols, the little gods that he had. She tucks them under the saddle of her camel. Remember that? And what a, what a mess she makes as her father comes out after them and she lies about it and, and there's fury and, and, and separation in the family. And you, know, you look at people like that. Have you ever said, have you ever said, what was she thinking Right? You ever or have someone ever said that about you? What were you thinking? You see, emotions rise up. Rachel experienced fear and uncertainty, and in her, in her anxiety, she did something very foolish. So, point number two: Jesus Christ felt a wide range of emotions. 
And it's important for us to pay attention to this. Because emotions are not inherently sinful. I've alluded to this. But as you read through the Old Testament, what do you read about the character of God? We read very often that there is an expression of God's love. When God wants us to understand Him, He wants us to understand He expresses love. He expresses hatred toward evil, anger at sin, compassion toward the weak and the homeless and, and the defenseless, pity on the broken. And, and, and this is a very expression of God's self-revelation to us. Now, I know we have to be careful here. We have to be very careful because the old theologian said, never forget, God is not like a man. God is not a man. You know, what do men do? Men feel gypped, and then they start to pout. Men feel frustrated, and then they start to whine. They feel uh, betrayed, and then they want vengeance. And God is not a man. In fact, they insist that God, in one sense, is impassable. God is transcendent. God has integrity, and he doesn't just respond and, and with, a, with a knee-jerk reaction. He would never be that way because that would violate his very character. And yet, while I agree with those theologians, D.A. Carson, uh, someone I respect very much, he says this. He says, you're just in danger of throwing out the baby with the bathwater. He writes, the problem with the argument for divine impassibility is that it selects certain texts of Scripture, namely those that insist rightly on God's sovereignty and unchangeableness, and then they construct a theological grid on the basis of those selected texts and use this grid to filter out all the other passages, and in particular those that speak of God's emotions. And when the Son of God, God the Son, became man, both fully God and fully man, did he have emotions? What do you remember? Look, look at the verses I gave you about Jesus right there in the outline. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Matthew 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Michael spoke earlier of Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him, he was a man of joy. Mark 3, he looked at them I'm sorry, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved. Look at those two words, anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And then he said, stretch out your hand, and the man's hand was restored. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. This is killing me. My sorrow is killing me, he says. And being in agony, this is Jesus in agony. You see, the Bible tells us Jesus wept, right? It, nowhere does it say Jesus smiled, although I'm sure he did. But the Bible tells us he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And if he exercises and expresses his emotions, what's the point? So can you, so can I. And we are capable of that, of a wide range of emotions. Please understand, you've got to know yourself. It's all in there. And no matter how 
I don't mean to be uh, untender. No matter how emotionally constipated you are, it's all in there. And we are capable of a wide range of emotions. What has God wired into your sons and daughters? What emotions are in your children? Do you know? Do you appreciate that they are there? Do you allow them to have emotions? I saw a guy across the street from me, you know, just screaming at at the uh, 10-year-old boy, boys don't cry, boys don't cry. Well, yeah, he wants him to control himself, but why not? What is wired into your wife, men? Ladies, what has God put inside your husband? Is he allowed to express his heart and his emotions? What do you feel as you go through your day, through your week, through your life? I, I, I just gave you a list of eight core emotions. I'm not going to go through them all. I got this from that seminar by Ken Sandy. I'm drawing on him a lot this week. But I just want you to know, he has wired you for sadness or shame or fear or enjoyment or love or surprise or disgust or for anger. And the Bible reflects that they are all there inside your soul. Pastor John, why do you insist we pay attention to this before we talk about the relational operating system, it's this. Because in this church, in this church, we are allowed to be honest. Is that fair? We're allowed to be honest about what we're going through. Evangelical Christianity is filled with liars. How you doing? Never better. Meanwhile, we're we're, we're dying inside. When Michael Wick calls us to worship and he says, rise with joy and sing with us. And you came today and your heart is broken. And you came because you need your brothers and sisters, but you feel like sitting and crying. What should you do? Right, sit and cry. Go ahead, sit and cry. And I hope somebody will see you and maybe come sit next to you and at least quietly pray for you. You go to your small group, your home fellowship group. How you doing? Well, can I tell you? And in this church, can we be people who are real and honest? Because our Savior was real and honest. A woman came to me a few weeks ago. She said, you know, Pastor John, I struggle with depression. Especially after I have children, I struggle with depression. She says, do you think my depression was sinful? It's a good question. It's a fair question. Is depression sinful? I said, no, your depression was not sinful. The Bible speaks of people having long periods of dark night of the soul, of emotional struggle, regret, a sense of downward spiral. Charles Spurgeon, maybe the greatest preacher of the past 200 years, had decades 
where he labored under heavy depression. But then I said to her, however, you can sin in your depression. You can sin with your depression. Your depression isn't sinful. Isn't sinful. But my struggle might be with anger. Anger is not sinful. How do we know it's not sinful? Because Jesus had anger and he didn't sin ever. And so what happens to me? I said, you know, sometimes I see some evil and I get righteously indignant. Righteous indignation rises up inside of me. This is wrong and it needs to be addressed. And I become righteously indignant and it lasts for about a tenth of a second. I'm righteous in my anger for about a tenth of a second. Maybe you you can manage two seconds. And then I become proud. And then I become like God. And then I decide that you need to hear my judgment because I am the judge and I'm going to tell you what my mouth can't wait to say, what I'm thinking, and it spews out venom and it spews out poison. And like the guy who said, did I really sound like that? I have no idea what I sound like. And I sin in my anger. That's why Ephesians says, be angry but do not sin. You have emotions. We're capable of a wide range of emotions. Depression, that's not sinful, but we can become so sinfully turned in on ourselves that we isolate ourselves, close ourselves off to God in unbelief and to people, and we need help. We need help. We need Jesus. Give me Jesus. That needs to be our cry right at that point. Give me Jesus when I am alone. Give me Jesus. I need you, Lord. Have you ever said, I need your Holy Spirit? I need you. It's precisely at this moment. Jesus came into this world. And this, he didn't just come to die for your sins. It's wonderful that he died for your sins. But he didn't just come to die for your sins. He rose from the dead to bring his resurrection power and resurrection life inside of you. And he gives the Holy Spirit, and we read of the fruit of the Spirit that he's to give us. So here I am, and I'm angry. Here I am, and I'm sad. In high-stress situations, this is point four. Let me tell you what happens. The emotional brain can hijack the rational brain and your whole body along with it. Now, Jesus experienced all these emotions, and yet he never sinned. Unfortunately, that's not true of me. And I know you didn't come here today to be insulted, but it's not true of you either. So, like a computer with a defective motherboard, like a computer with a virus, We seem unable consistently to pay attention to ourselves and to control our emotions that are triggered. Why? Jeremiah tells us, Jeremiah 17, 9. It says something very unflattering. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul says, Ephesians 4, 22, that we are corrupt through our deceitful desires. We even fool ourselves. I have to tell you, when I'm spewing my righteous anger, I feel really righteous. 
Oh, I wish the telephone recording machine was still on so I could hear my tone of voice and see just what a great blessing I am. Forgive my sarcasm. We get hijacked. It's early in the Bible, the story of Cain and Abel. Right after Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden, Cain kills his brother Abel. Do you know that story? Why did he do it? How could he do it? He got jealous. He felt unappreciated. He got bitter. And in his bitter, in his bitterness, in his anger, he rises up and he murders his brother. Again, Rachel, you know, she's just anxious. It was anxiety. Maybe some people say it was homesickness. I think she was now trusting these gods, so she takes the idols, lies about them, steals them. She steals them. What was she thinking? Her brain got hijacked. James says, now James 4, 1 through 3, what causes fights and quarrels? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. and, And even then, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. David Paulison explains it. Follow along with me here. You want to understand this sinful reactive mode in you? He tells us, he says, our desires become controlling idols. The desires are good. I desire, but then I demand, and then I judge, and then I punish. Do you got that? I desire... I demand, I judge, and then I'll punish you. And I become a victim, and I'm going to lash back out, especially if I'm, if I'm, if you did me dirty, if you didn't give me what I think I deserve, I'm the victim, and I'll let you have it. And I get angry, I become critical, confused, overwhelmed, and, and then it's not just hijacking, but it's flooding You've seen, we see this in children, but I had to break up a fight at our food pantry a couple weeks ago between two 60-year-old women who were ready to go right at each other, furious and crying. And I'll tell you what, it's not just kids that get flooded and overwhelmed with emotions. And I needed to set them down and actually expose their own emotions to them and say, you know, this is dishonoring to God and you're going to hurt yourself and other people. We get flooded And I think about Peter's terrible denial of Jesus. Do you know that night? Remember that? The little servant girl comes up to Peter and says, Oh, you were with him, weren't you? And Peter is filled with fear and anxiety. Does he say, Oh, yes, I was, and he's my Lord and my master. I'm proud to stand with him. Is that what Peter says? He says, No. No, I wasn't with him. And he calls down curses on himself. What happened? He got flooded. He was overwhelmed by the anxiety and fear and uncertainty of the future. And he denies the very Lord who loves him. What was he thinking? Well, last point. There's hope. The rest of the summer, we're going to study this together. There is hope 
As you grow in relational wisdom, you can learn how to anticipate and prevent. And Ken Sandy says even to reverse the negative spiral. And you become increasingly skilled at handling your emotions. And parents, this is part of what we try and teach our children. Wives, this is what we hope to teach our husbands. Husbands, this is what we hope to encourage in our wives. Jesus did not just die to pay for your sins. He rose from the dead to transform you from the inside out. And he does it by grace. He's not just going to give you a bunch of commands that are going to change you because the law doesn't change anybody. The law has no power to change. We want to conform to it, but it's only grace. It's only the gospel of grace that will change us. It's only the Holy Spirit inside us that will transform us. God does not want your relationships fractured by anger or cut off by bitterness. God does not want you spending your energy when someone does you wrong on revenge. He doesn't want that. What do I do? What do I do when my enemy has cursed me? When my enemy is thirsty, what do I do? I get him. No, no. Because Jesus now lives in me. I speak to him. I stop. I say, Lord Jesus, there is an impulse inside of me right now that is not about to glorify you. He's just cursed me. But you blessed me when I was unlovely. When I was your enemy, you died for me. And so now you are calling me to bless him. And he's thirsty. I'm mad as spit, but he's thirsty. And I'm going to stand in your place, and I'm going to give a cup of cold water to him, just like you asked me to do, Lord Jesus. There's hope. And when I screw it up, which I do, where do I go? Where do you go when you mess up? And you will. You go to the cross. You go to the cross and you go to the empty tomb. And there you just confess it. And and, and you say to him, Lord, my, my anger has turned into revenge and become cruel. Lord, my sadness has become massive self-preoccupation and isolation and, and, and I'm just in one big pity party. Lord, I know that's not what you want. Please, get me outside of myself. Help. My jealousy. My jealousy. Teenagers need to know this. Jealousy is a legitimate emotion, but jealousy becomes sinful when you rise and you want to possess and you can assume you have ownership of that other person and you can control and dominate them and it has become sinful at that point. Crazy. Love can become lust. Did you know that? What do you do? You repent. You confess it. You be honest with God. You ask for that self-awareness the self-awareness that you so desperately need. And as you do that, you're going to love God and love your neighbor more and more with all your heart. I'm going to conclude by just saying, we come back to the movie Inside Out. 
we need to have these conversations. If you're married, husbands and wives, you need to talk about who you are and the emotions that pulse inside your soul. Will you do that? Watch the movie and then go up for coffee and talk about it. Moms and dads, I talked to someone, they recently said, you know, I'm just so surprised at the way my boys are fighting all the time. I never expected that. I just thought they would love each other perfectly. She says, I don't understand. Well, you know what? Welcome to the club. Every parent needs a better understanding of what's going on inside. Watch the movie, then at least talk about it in a biblical way. And if you're an elder or a pastor in this church, we need to understand our people and to hear them well and to, and, and, and to have sympathy and empathy for them, something that you pray for me that I might have. And in your small groups, small groups, this might be a relationship-building activity. You watch the movie inside out. Go ahead and rent it from Amazon and watch the movie and discuss it and see if you can learn to know each other just a little bit better. The more fully you understand what's going on in the wiring God has put in you, the more clearly you understand forgiveness of sins at the cross and newness of life in the resurrection, you will experience that final fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23. For the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and what's the last one? Self-control, what do you know? Oh, Lord, what a gift. What a gift he can give to us as we grow in relational wisdom together. Let's pray, shall we? Bow your head with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Thank you. We need you. We need you to teach us how to love and how to relate to each other. We need you to help this church, help their pastor, help us all to be honest about the emotions and passions and affections that run deep within us. Help us to surrender them to you. Some of us have pain, depression and sadness and grief that chokes us, we just tell you, O Lord, help us. Help us to love those who walk through deep waters. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you, and we read of you in the Psalms, we read that in, in Isaiah, you were acquainted with sorrow and acquainted with grief. Thank you that you understand. Help us to understand one another better. And then, O Lord, we dare to ask for renewal in our hearts, in our marriages, in our relationships, at school, at work, in our small groups, that we could grow in our love for you and for each other, that we would do more than just get by, more than just survive. Oh, Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand and worship him together as we go. All right, we know this song. Sing it out. One, two, three, four. Oh, 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 oh. 
like a tree planted by the water, we never will run dry. Some living water flowing through, God, we thirst for more of you. Fill our hearts and flood our souls with one desire. Just to know you and to make you known, we lift your name on high. Shine like the sun, make darkness run and hide. 